why is it that we as humans are always trying to make other humans happy um have you ever considered that uh you know have you ever noticed our obsession with what other people think of us and whether it's you know what they think of how we are the type of person we are what they think of what we say our opinions what we do uh you know those type of things have you ever just thought about that what what is with our um this obsession we have you know with being concerned with what other people think especially when um we have scriptures um that kind of contrast that thought process of people um speaking well of us one that comes to mind is in luke chapter 6 where the 26th verse says uh woe to you when all men speak well of you for so did their uh, fathers to the false prophets and now there are are many scriptures that seem to have this same tone uh but what we want to muse about is what causes this and how do we fix such a prevalent uh problem Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says this, uh, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Um, Now, while it's possible you've heard this scripture before, uh, have you ever really considered its actual meaning? Um, or what type of a thought process that creates. I mean, you look at it and just travel a few verses back, uh, you know, where Paul says in verse 8, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel um, rather than what you have heard, let him be accursed. Awesome scripture there because it doesn't matter who your revelation came from. If it's different from, what we learn through Christ and through the apostles, it says, let that angel, person, prophet, whatever, let them be accursed. They are against God. So then he says again, as we have said uh, before, so now we say again, he repeats himself, exact same thing. If anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Then he says, for who am I persuading, men or God? Or who do I seek to please? This thought process that he has here almost defines the type of individual he was um, and why we so often can look to Paul as a Christian example, um, as an example of how we ought to be and how we ought to approach our lives in this world um, during the course of our pilgrimage. We see an attitude here from him that is remarkable. Who am I trying to please here? Because he says, if I'm still so he, he admits that in life before he did attempt to please men 
I love his admission of that because it's something we all can relate to. You would almost have to doubt his sincerity if he speaks as though this is not an issue he ever had in life. Okay, but he says, if I still please men, then I shouldn't be, I can't be a servant of Christ. This is a scripture to remember, um, to take with you. Uh, Even as we go through this thought process, this musing, uh, or as you go through life, whatever it may be, this is a thought process. As you, you know, train up your children, this is a thought process you should remember. If I am still seeking to please men, I can't be a servant of Christ. That's really what we want to look at. Um, and even what creates um, this issue, this thought process. Um, and, and again, let's look at some words from Christ, because it's not just Paul uh, who feels that way. But if we go to John and the eighth chapter, um, we'll notice a very, very, very similar thought process, um, you know, spoken by Christ. So Jesus says to them in verse 28, when you lift up uh, the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, um, that's what I speak. And he who sent me is with me. Uh, the father has not left me. Um, uh, the father's not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. A great thought process. And again, I mean, we see it from Paul. More importantly than Paul, we see it coming from Christ. Christ said, the Father hasn't left me because I always do those things that please him. I think it's interesting how much we want God not to leave us. Um, We want uh, our Father to always smile upon us and bless us and things like that. Yet we ignore this thought process from Christ. When he says, the Father has not left me alone, for always um, I'm doing the things that please him. This is a lifestyle. This is the mind of Christ. Um, this is the example that was set for us um, that we should be uh, seeking to follow. So th- this is an overwhelming thought process um, through Scripture, um, and we haven't even begun to exhaust the Scriptures yet. Uh, but the this overwhelming thought process is that we should be concerned with what God thinks and God alone. Um, but if that is the case, how did we get to the point where we are? That's the question. If it's so evident from Christ, from Paul, throughout Scripture, Old and New Testaments, um, if we see this attitude, this understanding that we should be seeking to please God rather than more than instead of people, how did we get to this point of being obsessed with pleasing people, with making sure people are pleased with us, people are happy with us? How do we get to that point? So let's consider that. That's what I kind of want to look at. How do we get um, to that point? So, firstly, one thing that we recognize just to be true is that we are taught to please people from a very early age, and that's in all facets of life, okay? That's in uh, every area of life. We're taught to please people from a very young age. I mean, from the baby uh, being taught to say mommy or daddy because it pleases the parent, 
right? And again, not saying these are bad things, just saying, just talking about how early we learn to be people pleasers. Um, you know, even to the toddler, taught to walk, use the bathroom, whatever it is. We're to, or taught what, you know, in our country, uh, we believe is important to start, you know, learning. So phonics, things like that, you know, just basic things. What what shit goes into what the, we, we learn to please people at a very early age, um, a very early age. We learn to, to, to please people. Um, I even consider um, in church, which is kind of funny because in church we know to say that we're supposed to be God pleasers. Um, and yet. Even in church, you will notice that we're taught to please people. Okay, I mean, we're, we're taught to please people. Um, you know, when you consider things like, uh, I remember when I was younger in church and, you know, we would memorize things, not for our own sake, but we would get uh, awards, right? We would get badges because we memorized the 66 books of the Bible. Um, and then we memorized uh, the Ten Commandments. And then we memorized the 12 tribes. And then we memorized uh, the 12 apostles and the Beatitudes, whatever it was, and we would get awarded for this. We didn't care if God was happy about it. I mean, just to be honest, at that age, we just, I mean, yeah, hey, we, we get rewarded for this. People applaud and when we stand up in front of the church and um, recite back who the 12 followers of Christ were, and we knew their names. Um, and yeah, we get rewarded for that. And yeah, people are pleased. There you go. Um, I remember being in choir when I was younger. And it's all about, you know, presenting your show um, so that people are pleased, so that you get the proper response. Some people would dare to call it praising God or worshiping God. But in reality, we're worshiping people. I mean, if it's about who's pleased by this, we want to make sure that we sang in such a way that these people were impressed with us. Now, not everyone, um, but the majority of the time, this is what we're doing. We're simply pleasing people. Um, again, pleasing teachers, pleasing the culture, whatever it may be, over and over and over again from that young age, we're just taught to be people pleasers. You know, we're just taught um, to make sure that this individual is happy with you. Um, it is unfortunate, um, you know, considering that those of us who are in Christ and who were brought up under that thought process um, can have been raised that way and not even realize it. You know, that pleasing God came not even second or third or fourth or fifth, but was somewhere way down the line. Um, and instead, we're taught to please whatever, parent, family, uh, teacher, friends, culture, whatever it may be. Um, so that's one reason how we get to this point of being people pleasers is from the beginning, you're taught to please people from the app. So, so it's almost like in order to please God, we're fighting against what we know. We're fighting against what we were taught our whole lives. I mean, just if you ever wonder, why is it so difficult to really just be satisfied that God is pleased when I see all these mad faces or whatever it is, all these people disappointed or whatever they might be? Why is it so difficult? Why does that matter so much? Because it always mattered. It's just that simple. It always mattered to you from a very young age. Every human was taught to please another human. 
So, I mean, it's a very, very, very natural thing because it's what we were taught from the beginning. So already we see that that will be a part of that wrestling match, flesh versus spirit. Um, just as the Bible refers to our flesh as the old man and the spiritual creature as the new, this new creation. So that old man who was taught to please people will always rear his head up. His head up. And uh, yeah, I mean, with that, people are tangible. OK. Um, and with that, it's easier to please people than it is um, at times to please God, because people are right there in front of me um, when you know, we go into the the area of who am I going to please? It's so much easier to please people because I can look at your face and see whether or not you're pleased by what I just said or did. And that's the truth of it. I mean, we can just look right at each other and I know that you're not happy with what I just said when I can see you, when I can hear you. Um, then I know immediately that creates, especially for those who have the mentality that I just want to please everybody. I just want everybody to smile at me and be happy with me. That's what I want. Then it's very difficult to put God first because I can't see God. I can't see God. So I can imagine God is pleased with what I'm doing. And, and, and oh, I feel good. I feel good. Okay. Because if God wasn't happy, you know, I would feel uncomfortable. But since I feel comfortable doing this thing, I can ignore you know, what God may be saying through scripture or whatever it might be. I can ignore that. I feel good about this thing. So that's great. Boom. God's out the God's out the window with that. Um, you know, and and all that's left is this individual. Um, all that's left is this person. So that's a, a huge thing when we look at, OK, why is it so much easier? Why is it um hard to remove that focus of people well this is why because they're right in front of me um they can speak of their uh displeasure and whatever it might be they can show me their displeasure and at the same time they can show me when they are pleased and so that creates um a relationship thing where okay now i can see um instead of just trusting through god's word that he and, and with that um it's unfortunate because those of us, again, who uh, were raised in certain type of church uh, churches were taught that God is easily pleased and not easily displeased. I mean, just honestly, you know, we're, we're taught that um, it's very easy to make God happy, whereas people are harder. So it's almost like work more on pleasing people because all you have to do to please God is. Is that, now for a second, let's look at let's look at some scriptures about pleasing God uh, just for a moment. Let's look at a few scriptures about actually pleasing God. Let's make the first one Luke um, chapter three. And let's look at this. Let's look at this one first. I always like this one. Verse 22 uh, says the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Christ. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son and you. I am well pleased. I thought this was a good one to add because we can see we know the reason why God said this up to this point in Jesus's life on Earth. He had completely obeyed the father. Um in spite of himself. And that is from a child all the way up to this 30 year old man. 
um, which is what he is at this point um, in history. Uh, he's this 30-year-old man, and up to this point, he's done everything. So this is God's stamp um, on Jesus that he's the one. He's He's my chosen. Um, I am in him. He will be the Savior. And so he makes it very clear. I'm very pleased by what you've done. Well, what had Jesus done? Completely obeyed the Father in spite of himself. Um, that's not something that's easy to do. Uh, that that's not something that, okay, yeah, I went through this whole day or my life since I've been a Christian, I have pleased God in every, um, thing that I've done, um, in my dealings with people in the things I've said and my goals and all this other stuff, I have completely pleased God. Yeah. Well, that's very difficult to say. And yet that is what Christ did that allowed us to know, um, that, you know, he pleased God. This is how he pleased um, God. Uh, another one, Hebrews. Yeah, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews and the 13th uh, chapter. Okay, now this is great because, again, it speaks to a, a this thought process that pleasing God is just such an easy thing to do. Verse 15 in Hebrews 13 says, Therefore, uh, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, that part is easy, right? You know, just say thank you or, you know, praise in some sort of way. And there you go. But then verse 16 says, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices. God, here we see it is well pleased. I think it's interesting how. So often people believe that in singing or, you know, speaking praises to God, it's somehow better than actually obeying God. Just let that sink in for a second. I mean, if you ever think about people who, um, again, put the uh, outward show of worship to God, who elevate that over obedience. I mean, I sadly know far too many Christians who really believe that I can act any way and I can be any type of person as long as I sing well and with great emotion and with fervor and zeal and all of this and I can give it my all till my till I'm hoarse. And so because I do that praise air quote to God, I'm now free to treat people horribly, to not be a light, um, to live in sin. I can do whatever I want to do because I gave that sacrifice of my lips to God, the fruit of my lips, giving thanks to his name. I did that so well, my life doesn't matter. Well, it's just not true, simply put. Um, so he said, but don't forget to do good um, for with these things, God is well pleased. Right. So that whole notion, that whole thought process that as long as I am doing what I consider to be praise toward God, then he will be pleased with me is something that is taught, but something that is poorly taught. Um, let's look at Enoch now, going back to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'd see Enoch was one who pleased God. So let's look at this verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, this was the testimony that he had. He pleased God. How did Enoch please God? 
Well, in a world that was increasingly growing more and more corrupt, Enoch was separate from that world. Um, that's how he pleased God. Uh, Enoch was a person who walked in faithfulness toward God at a time when the corruption of the world was reaching a point that it was about to be reset, in a manner of speaking, with Noah. Okay, remember, Enoch came before Noah. Um, so we see that the world was about to be reset. It had gotten so corrupt um, with all sorts of things going on in the world. And yet we see this one man here um, who separated himself from all that and walked with God and cared only about what God wanted in the face of the confusion and corruption that was going on. So with that, this is the testimony that he had. He pleased God. Again, so this is about the thought process that, you know, yeah, just pray a little bit, sing a little bit, read a little bit, and God will be pleased with you minus of life. In spite of just going to the next verse six, without faith, scripture says it is impossible to please God um, for who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Faith is how we please God. God. Okay. Being faithful to God is how we please God. And that is in all things. So notice our understanding um, of pleasing God, unfortunately, is steeped in ritual and not in principle. Okay. Um, in, in other words, it's steeped in the uh, do this, you know, uh, be in church on Sunday and on Monday through Friday, you can live however you want. God is pleased that you were there. Or read your Bible every day, give a good 15 minutes every day, and God will be pleased in spite of the fact that you never seek to apply the things that you're learning and seek to be that person who is an ambassador, who is a light, who represents God with every conversation and action and how you treat people and your gratefulness. And I tell you, I mean, it's so unfortunate how many times you see Christians brushing people off because their food didn't arrive fast enough and at the end of the meal they'll still leave a tract on the table well rightfully so the person's tossing that right in the trash can um, because of how poor your attitude was yes Christian you're responsible for that um, but to feel justified because of the ritual well I left a tract with the tip <laughs> completely ignoring the principle of being a light, of treating people how we would want to be treated, um, completely ignoring that principle. I've done this ritual and therefore God is pleased with me. How unbelievable of, of a thought process is that? How, how far from truth have we gone when somebody can actually do that? Um, when somebody can all on the way to work be singing as loud as they can in the car just to get to work and have the absolute worst attitude and speak about the absolute useless, most useless things they can think of, never about God, but all along the way, I was just singing as loud as I could. See, that's ritual, not principle. God's not pleased with that. And yet that's what so many uh churches, people, Christians, let's just say Christians. That's what so many Christians have learned and teach other Christians. In spite of your life, which we see Christ 
uh, Enoch, all of those who were faithful, Abraham, Noah, they evidenced their faithfulness, and without faith it's impossible to please God. They evidenced their faithfulness through obedience. Not through ritual, through principle, through practice, they please God. Such an easy premise, and yet something that, generally speaking, Christians aren't taught. We're not taught that God is pleased by what we do, by evidenced faith. As James says, faith without works is dead. It, it doesn't, I mean, it's, it's left alone, it's not real. So when we learn ritualistic pleasing God, it's so easy to brush that off. It's so easy to wake up and say my morning prayers, play my morning music, and then go and live a life completely apart from the example Christ gave. It's so easy to do that when I have a ritualistic mentality. Um, it's so easy to neglect people because of my uh, ritualistic mentality so that I would sooner you, air quote, go to hell than actually be saved because I don't, you know, I don't care about you actually outside of the ritual of me caring about you. When I am walking the streets with my witnessing partner, I love you to death. But when you cut me off in traffic or whatever it may be, like I said, I don't care anything about you. Well, that's a ritual, not principle. It's not true understanding there. There's no actual wisdom there. And sadly, this is what the saints have been taught. It's absolutely sad because we become an offense to the ministry. Um, and also we lose that heart, that mind that Christ had of actually doing things that God might be pleased so the reality of pleasing God is that it requires a life of sacrifice. Um, it requires a life of sacrifice to his kingdom, um, to his will, you know, to his desire. What exactly does God want? I mean, that that's really what it is. I mean, you look at Matthew and in the uh, 25th, chapter 21st verse um you know and it says his lord said to him well done good and faithful servant you were faithful over a few things i will make you rule over many things enter into the joy of your lord and that scripture comes to mind because this is the thought process that we like to have that this is what um will be said to us but know that notice the well done good and faithful servant was faithful again over a few things so was made ruler over many things this is not, that was not an issue of ritual. It was an issue of actual principle. This is the parable of the talents, of course, uh, where the one buried his and the others actually used theirs and, and got more of it. This is lifestyle over the ritual. The one was just ritualistic, okay? Uh, for the sake of this context, the one was just being rit ritualistic. Just bury it, okay? Just bury it, and I can give it back to him. That's what we do with the emptiness of simple, verbal, pleasing God. God, you're so awesome. God, thank you. Whatever you want in my life, I'll do it for you. And then soon as that worship ceremony is done, contrary to everything I said, I go right back to living to please myself or living to please others. And let's go to another point with that. 
people pleasing is so um, much easier because it also pleases us. Okay, um, especially considering there are times when we want uh, reciprocal pleasure. Okay, um, the same type of pleasure, whereas we don't get that from God always. Right. So, I mean, if from a person you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Um, so uh, sometimes our desire to please men more than God comes from that. OK, it, it comes from that very thought process. I want to be pleased in the same way that I please you. Well, God doesn't work that way. Now, I like the scripture in First uh, Corinthians chapter two, where it speaks of it's not even that God has a lesser thing in mind. It's just not always what we want. Um, God has rewards that are set for us in his mind already. Um, but a lot of times with pleasure, but I want it my way. This is why we so often have the bad habit of creating these fantasy versions of heaven that fit our desires and have nothing to do with God's actual kingdom. You know, I mean, we, we've created fantasies about what heaven is, where it's going to be exactly what I want it to be. And the first thing I'm going to do is this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll go there, and then, you know, all these other things will be going on. God already has a perfect plan, and he's not going to allow you to come into his kingdom and start to rearrange things. If that's what you thought, uh, I don't know, maybe this isn't what you're looking for, um, but First Corinthians chapter two, this is the scripture that comes to mind, verse nine, where it says, uh, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We should love that scripture, right? Especially when you look at pleasing God, what do I gain from pleasing God and not caring about what people think? This right here. And it's such an awesome, beautiful scripture. It's not that he wants to give us less. His plan is to give us more. And so much more. And the beauty of this scripture, when you look at it, we can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. It's an awesome thing. It's an absolute awesome thing. And yet, if you keep going to verse 10, there are parts of it that has been revealed to us through his spirit. Which is, and still, I would say there are those things that we can't even imagine as far as what God has in store. And yet we forsake that sometimes for the sake of pleasing people. But I mean, these are just a few reasons why these are a few issues um, that we have. Um, even understanding that, okay, I should be focused on pleasing God. These are still the things that arise that can cause um, some confusion with us or make it a more difficult uh, thing. But for a second, let's take another, um, let's take a look at a different thought process for a second. When I am loved by all, does it necessarily mean it's a bad thing? Let, let's consider that. Um, and again, let's, let's go back to scripture we looked at earlier in Luke, the first one we looked at, and that was Luke chapter six. And then it was verse 26 that we looked at. Okay. This verse says, woe to you when all men speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets. 
So then we want to look at a contrasting scripture. All right, so that one seems like a warning. Woe when all men speak well of you because that's how they treated the false prophets. They spoke well of them. Then you go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. Now look at what this says. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, of course, he's speaking of latter days at that point. Um, but it's not just going to be a jump. There will be a progression moving into that. So those same people in the latter days, the it's the same individuals, okay, that we face before those times. So, again, those who are in Christ will be treated a different way. So, but notice how both of these scriptures use that word all, okay? Um, when all men speak well of you, watch out. Um, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. A great word there. One thing becomes extremely clear. When we are at odds with the world, um, the majority of the world, it evidences that we are walking rightly with God. Now, not as a rule, okay? Some, some, sometimes the world just doesn't like you because you're an evil person, Um or because you're a mean-spirited person. So it never confuse that, um, being mean with this is for Christ's sake. People don't like me for God's sake. No, they don't like you because you're mean, okay? They don't like you because you speak with no love, okay? They don't like you uh, because you have a horrible attitude. It has nothing. It, this does not always mean that, yes, because everybody hates me, I must be right with God. No, sometimes it's simply because you've made yourself somebody who seems loveless okay you don't speak as christ spoke as paul spoke as an ambassador trying to uh show people how the kingdom of god is better than the kingdom of this world sometimes it's just man everything you say is just everybody is horrible you hate everybody sometimes it's as simple as that but um generally speaking based on these scriptures when we are at odds with the world it can show that we are walking rightly with God. And there's a reason for that. Now we're going to have to go to John to see, well, why is that? Why would that be? That walking, you know, rightly with God uh, shows that, you know, okay, I'm all creates hatred in the world. So let's go to John chapter 15 in the 18th verse. And Christ is speaking. So we got to listen, right? If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Those are some verses right there. I always say that, you know, people sometimes have scriptures on their walls in their houses. You know, a favorite one is, um, as for me and my house, will serve the Lord. I'll tell you what, if you're going to put scriptures on your wall, make them thought-provoking. Put this on your wall, right? I mean, if you, people like getting tattoos of scriptures. I'll tell you what, throw this one on your arm or whatever if you're a tattoo type. Um, just something that makes people really, really, really think. Not the standard, you know, John 3.16. That's awesome, but go a little deeper than that, right? If you want a, somebody to read something and actually see something they've never seen before, these two verses right here, are huge, are huge. And they do speak to that question, 
if the world loves me, is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, look at this. Jesus said they're going to hate you because you're like me. You're of me. So the world is going to have a problem with you because you're like me. Oh, that's awesome. I would rather be like Christ. I mean, I would. Um, if you were of the world, it would love you. Uh-oh, that's scary. Because now if the world loves me, does that mean I'm of it? If the world loves me, if the majority of people in the world love me, does that mean I'm of them? Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of it, the world is going to hate you. Verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you keep my word, um, if they kept my word, they'll keep your words also. It's the same. Whatever, However they feel about Christ, they should feel about me. How could they hate Christ and love me if I'm representing him? This is all biblical stuff. How could they? If I'm a representative of him and they hate him, how is it possible that they love me? What am I doing or not doing? Another scripture, just going a few chapters to John 17 and verse 14. Um, I have given them uh, your word and the world has hated me. Uh, Jesus speaking to God. This is when he was praying. I've given them your word, God, the father. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We see the same thought process right there. The world is going to hate them just how they hated me because they're not of the world, just like I'm not of the world. Now, again, but we're looking at, well, why, why, why? Well, that's one thing right there. Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians for, you know, to give more of this thought, thought process. Um, this is a scripture I go to quite a bit. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it speaks of the God of this age, um, whose minds, those who can't receive the gospel, their minds have been blinded uh, by the God of this age. Um, and they don't believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, um, who is the image of God, should shine on them. They hate us because we are speaking against the God of this age. The God of this age is the bringer of light false light he's the bringer of revelation okay Th i mean this is exactly what the serpent did with eve he enlightened her to life hey try this try this try this that is the god of this age we see it in culture every single day try this new thing try that new thing that comes from the god of this age so when you say as a representative of christ Hey, guys, let's not try that new thing. Let's please God. You're going to be hated. Don't you love it when scripture comes alive right in front of your face? This is every single day in our society. Every single day in our society, the God of this age says, hey, try this thing now or do it that way. Or that's not so bad. Every single day, if you open up the Internet, you'll see it. Every single day, there's something else about, hey, try this. This is okay, whatever it is, against God and God's ways. Even, and this is just absolutely sad, even within the church, that's why judgment will begin at the house of God, because we're supposed to be lights and examples of following God. We're supposed to be ambassadors representing God's kingdom, saying, hey, 
get out of that corrupt kingdom that will be destroyed and come into this kingdom of true light and righteousness. Why do they hate you? Why will they hate you? Why is this true? Why um, can it say, if the world loves me, woe to you? Because they hate us because we go against the God of the age without Christ. We see Christ's attitude. They're going to hate you because they hated me. Don't worry about it. God loves you. Isn't that, I mean, shouldn't that be enough? Really, I mean, to think about it, shouldn't that be enough? God, The world hates me, but God loves me for Christ's sake. Shouldn't that be enough for us? So when we look at that uh, world, um, you know, we just see that, yeah, it's going to have an issue with us. So that word all now um, is... Can mean it can also mean most or majority of or things like that. Um, so pretty much it signifies your when it says all will hate you, all will love you. It's a world that means most, majority, whatever, um, as well as you know, in totality. Because not the the whole world doesn't know you. That's how we know that. Not everybody in the world knows you, so not the whole the whole world does not hate you. The whole world doesn't know you. Not even most of the world knows you. So really this is about your world, um, the world as it spins around you. That world, the majority of if you are and and again, this lets us know that the majority of the world is not going to be for God. The majority of the world is not going to be for Christ. We know this to be the case. And this is just more evidence of that, um, that it says the world is going to hate you. If the world loves you, watch out. That's not good. If the world loves you, then that's going to be an issue. It already is an issue, let's say, because apparently you're not standing against that kingdom of the world because the God of this world will cause uh, those who follow him to hate you. He will cause it to happen because you will be going against his precepts. See how important this is as far as am I going to please God or please man? Because if I do please God, I'm going to have a problem in the world. Does that matter to you? If you're a people pleaser, yep, that's going to matter to you a whole lot. And it's going to be an issue. Bottom line, if the world is pleased with you, you can be sure that your impact for the kingdom of God is small. We, we can put it that way. Um, if, if the world just loves you and just everything you do, your impact at best is small if you have an impact at all. Your impact for God's kingdom must be small if the world can look at you. And I just love that guy. Now, there are some people and there are times when the world indeed should love you because you're caring, because you're considerate. But when you start speaking of God, OK, when you start speaking of God, then there should come the issue. There, there should come the problem when you start speaking of of God, that's where that nice person should be. Well, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. But let's look at some scriptures, though, that speak of why. Why is it that the world is going, what exactly am I doing? I already said, okay, we know I'm wrestling against that kingdom. But but what else? Well, let's look at Christ. So back to John chapter 15 again. And this time, 
verse 22. Here's your answer right here. Why does the world hate me? If I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't have known sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Ouch. Why does the world? Because of this right here. If I hadn't spoken about their sin, Jesus says, they wouldn't have had sin. But here I am. And now they know of their sin. Now you're guilty. Now you're accountable. Will we do the same thing? When we speak to Christians who are living in sin and say, hey, you're wrong. Why do they hate us? Why are they mad at us? Because I just revealed it to them. So now they're they can believe what they want. When they stand before Christ, they will be accountable. When Christ plays that tape, he's going to say, remember rent when uh, so and so said this to you and showed you this and you just brushed it off. Yeah, that's when you knew. To those who are without Christ, uh, he will say, remember when this person said to you that I was the only way and explained it to you using this? Yeah, that's why you're guilty. That's just what Jesus did is what we're to do. And it's the exact same reason why the world has no love for us. If we had kept our mouths closed, they wouldn't have known their sin. But we want them to know that so they can understand that there is a cure for it. You don't want to be judged in your sin. There is someone who can sanctify you in spite of your sin. So when we do that, we see another scripture, which I love when, I mean, you can just go right to scripture. In Galatians chapter 4, we see another scripture where Paul is speaking in the 16th verse, and he says, Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Yeah, Paul. That's how it works sometimes. When there's a truth that people don't want, it offends. It happens all the time. You know, I often look at it like this. Do you love a person? So you know somebody who all their life just wanted to jump off of a mountain, no parachute because they believe they can fly. What's real love? Does real love let them do it? Or does real love tackle them to the ground and say, no, you can't fly, buddy? Real love tackles them to the ground and pulls them away and says, I'm going to keep my eye on you because until I can convince you, you cannot fly. That's real love. But the foolish society says, let them jump. They always dreamed of it. Let, Let them jump. You know, send light their way. Light and love, send that their way. Let them jump and just be with them through it. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. So there you are with the truth. You jump, you're going to hit the ground and die. You can't fly. Oh, now you're a mean person. So am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? No. I'm the only one who loves you because I'm telling you, if you keep walking down this path, you're going to be separate from God and have to pay for your own sin, which is a price that's too big for you. Truth offends. Why is it that the world isn't going to be pleased with those who truly seek to please God? Because we offend by saying yeah god's not going to like that that's going to be a problem that's not true salvation that's not what christians really live like that's just the way it is when we speak that truth as lovingly as we may do it as selflessly as we may attempt to do it it's going to create an issue every time so if i'm acting as an ambassador for the kingdom of god People are going to take issue with my views, with my stances, with what I see to be important in life. It's that simple. When when I'm standing for righteousness, there will be times when people call it hatred or bigotry, whatever word they like to use. There will be those times. I mean, so it is with Christ. So it was with Christ always. There will be 
those times. That being said, is it possible to be a pleaser of God and people? Right? I mean, okay, so we know that to please one and not the other uh, shows clear signs of where we are. But is it possible for me to please both? In principle, the answer has to be no. Uh, God's desire for us is to live as pilgrims in this world, seeking his kingdom first. As a rule, this is going to go against most people's desires for us as a rule. So by principle, no, we can't do both. Uh, They'll never be able to agree. Uh, We're either going to seek to please God and live that way, or we're going to be content with people uh, nodding their heads and winking at us and smiling and thumbs up and all that other stuff that we really shouldn't care about. Um, We're either going to seek to please God or we're going to be happy pleasing people. It's as simple as that. We're not going to do both. God has a completely different desire for us than people do. God is all about his kingdom. People are all about the kingdoms that we can build on this earth. Completely different. Whether it's their kingdom, your kingdom, whatever it is, people's minds are not on the kingdom of God, generally speaking. How could we please God and men if that's true? Now, there are times when doing something that pleases somebody else doesn't offend God. Um, I mean, if, if somebody's in need and it's not contrary to God to help them, then we've just pleased both. If I'm just generally speaking, um, you know, helping somebody out and they're pleased because of that, I mean, that's fine. You know, if, God, if it's not something that offends God. So on the smaller level, I mean, sure, we can please people. Um, you know, and please God. But so so this is a principle issue. OK, when, when we look at principle, that's where it becomes a problem in ideals in purpose for life um, and what I should and shouldn't do, how I should and shouldn't speak. Uh, this is when it becomes an issue. Uh, so in smaller things, I mean, sure, there's even actually a relevant scripture about that. You look at Romans chapter 15, um, first verse, it says uh, we hear strong or to bear the the. Uh, the weaknesses of those who are weak and not to please ourselves. Okay. So it says we should bear the weaknesses um, of those who, you know, and not, not for our own sakes. Okay. So there we even see that, that in verse two. Uh, So let us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification. Now that's the important part, not just please our neighbor, just, you know, cause I know to be a people pleaser. No, for his edification that he can be built up in the faith. So that is something we're supposed to. That is why we bear with the weaker. Why do we keep having to go over this same principle? Because this weaker person doesn't get it yet. Calm down and edify. This shouldn't be about you. This person needs to understand that. So, yeah, let's keep talking about that till they understand. Imagine if church was that uh, useful, right? It should be. Okay, everybody doesn't understand. So, you know what? We can't move on till our brother understands this principle or, you know, we'll talk about this for the, those who have already understood it. And after church, um, instead of just hanging around talking about what we're going to do next, we're going to keep talking with this brother to or sister to make sure that they understand. How awesome would that be? But, yeah, we got a luncheon coming up. So maybe next week we can get back to it. We'll touch on that a little bit. Hopefully you'll, you'll be all right till then. 
Yeah, that's selfish. That's not pleasing someone for their sake. So that's what this scripture means. And it's a very useful one as far as this goes. But generally speaking, by principle, we can't please God and men. We just can't do it. I mean, we really just can't. With that thought process, though, what about like Christian celebrities, right? Or, or rather, let's say celebrities who claim to be in Christ. How is it possible that the world loves them if they're truly in Christ, right? Well, here's the thing, and it's not just the celebrities. It's, it's you and I as well. Compromise. And, and this is something we all have done and we all will be tempted to do, okay? We find ourselves in the same situations as celebrity, Um you know, when we have to make that choice, do I want to please God or men? Now, why do we make these choices? Why is it so difficult? Now, we know what celebrities are up against. If you want to keep getting money or you want to keep being famous, you better smile through this nonsense, right? You better do this thing we like, you know, so we can know you're one of us. It's got to be tempting. I mean, I would never want to be a celebrity. I mean, again, I know everybody looks at it like, well, I'd be a strong Christian and rich and celebrity and famous. And a lot of them, you see a lot of them fall. You see a lot of them fall. Um, so that's not something I would want. The Bible even warns about it in First Timothy chapter 6. You know, watch out for stuff like that. Um, but the, th- the things that cause this to happen to us, celebrity or not, through our mind is running this. What do I stand to gain or lose by pleasing God instead of men, instead of people, right? This is the thought process that that celebrity Christian is going through. What could I lose? And, and now, again, we've already, you know, made God this little this little guy. Um, so he, he'll be all right. You know, I'm saved. Every once in a while, I say, thank you, Jesus, um, in spite of all the other stuff I say. One percent of the time I say, you know, yeah, God gave me this ability. So thanks. Uh, Now, back to the main thing. Every once in a while I say it. So I gave him his little bit. What might I lose, though, by just talking about God? Right. This is what's going through our minds. This is what's going through relationship, career, uh, whatever it may be, money, a sponsor, whatever it is. This is what they're thinking about. I already pleased God because I said Jesus once, so he's already satisfied. Now, if I just try to please him, what might I lose by actually taking a stand for Christ? Right? I mean, will God mind if I choose for it? Maybe God won't care in this instance, so I'm going to go ahead and just be against God. He probably won't care about this. So I'm going to go ahead and choose people. This is a small thing. Why choose God in such a small thing? Right? Or, I mean, again, we know we're building our own. We're trying to please ourselves as well. What do I want? Sometimes it is very selfish. Maybe I like the adoration, right? Maybe there are some Christian celebrities. I like people loving me. I'm not willing to lose that by saying, look, this is what Christ said. We need to live like this. Eh, I, I like when people love me. So maybe, maybe that's an issue, right? Sometimes it's an issue of fear. Who do I fear more? Okay, because, again, we've made God this little small thing, you know, that, like I said, just say Jesus and and he's happy with you, you know. So maybe I don't fear God because I don't know to not fear God. You would have to not really know God. But maybe I'm more afraid of what people can do to me, which I mean, how sad would that be if that's true? Right. But maybe I fear that more. Maybe I'm more afraid of what can this person do to me 
than I am with what God might do. How crazy is that? But I mean, there are a bunch of different reasons um, about why we struggle with um, that why or whatever type of Christian may struggle with pleasing God or men or when it looks like the world is in love with this individual. Well, this is part of it. This is part of it. We are making calculated decisions about who we want to please. Well, let's wrap it up. We're called to be God pleasers. Um, There is nothing men, people can do for us in the face of eternity. It's only temporary stuff. Whatever I can gain by being a people pleaser is temporary. It only lasts as long as I'm alive. And sometimes it doesn't even matter then while I'm alive. But there's an eternity to speak of. And what I do for God is going to go throughout all of eternity. We'll look back one day if we can, because there's a scripture that speaks of how this world won't even come into mind. I'm actually up for that. I can go for that. I don't really care about remembering this stuff. But if I if we could, you know, so theoretically, we would look back one day and it would just be, man, I was a fool. All the effort I put into making sure those people who I don't I haven't even seen around here in this kingdom, but to make sure those people were satisfied with me, were happy with me, were smiling at me, um, you know, whatever. Uh, again, this whole legacy thing, right? Legacy. What legacy do you want to leave? I don't even care. I just want to be about Christ. Well, I guess you could say that's the legacy. But I, my thing is I just want God to be pleased. But how many people are stuck in that? I want to be remembered for this and that. That song I did, that book I wrote, that speech I made, that protest I went to. I want to be known for that. But God doesn't know you. What a horrifying thought. I just can't fathom. That's something I can't relate to. I I want people to uh, know, remember, whatever me. Um, You know, that's what I want. Even if it means that God doesn't know me. No, there's, there's nothing people can do for me in the face of eternity. So we have to learn to be farsighted. How can I get to this place you got to learn to be farsighted. You got to learn to look at it from a kingdom of God point of view and not just a kingdom of men point of view. So if we learn to be farsighted, we won't struggle with this thing as much as we do. We'll have that conviction. So that's really what we have to learn to do. We've got to learn to be farsighted and seek that prize that we will gain from actually finishing our course and finishing it in a way that actually did and does please God. That's who we want to be, following that example of Christ, following that example of Paul and whoever, and those faithful ones um, who lived with that thought process, I'm going to please God more than I'm going to please men rather than I'm going to please men or instead of pleasing men, I'm going to please God. That's who we need to be. That's what matters. And that's what will lead us into and follow us all throughout our eternity.